A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Barry Podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to being remembered as the hero. I'm John. And I'm David, and this is our coverage of the HBO original series, Barry. In this podcast, we'll be giving an overview of the series finale of Barry, Season 4, Episode 8, Wow, as well as our thoughts on the season as a whole. If you're interested in getting early and ad-free access to all of our podcasts and some occasional exclusive content, check us out at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. We are on a little bit of a membership drive. We're hoping to break 100 subscribers by the end of July. We're preparing a really cool thank you gift that we're going to send out to everyone who subscribed uh, at the end of July as a way to say thanks for all the support and uh, just everything that this community has given to us because July is our one-year uh, anniversary. So we're pretty excited about that. We sure um, are. Yeah, it's wild to think about how far this thing has come. Um, anyway, if uh, Patreon's not your bag, but you still want to give us a little bit of a leg up, consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can do the star ratings or maybe a couple of words in the review. We read all the reviews. The ratings really do help us in the standing, helps other people find the podcast. And, you know, they just give us those uh, warm little fuzzies that uh, make this all worthwhile. A quick reminder that this is a short form version of our recap style podcast uh, that we're doing for Barry this season. This is our last episode, but, you know, feel free to send in feedback if you want. Uh, we probably won't be able to read it on air, but we'll definitely read it with our eyes. Um, and that said, you can send emails to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com uh, or head over to our website and use a contact form or even the voicemail message if you want to send us a message. Um, all of that said, the conversation's still rolling on our Discord server. We've got a channel set up there for uh, just for Barry. Um, and folks are chit-chatting about the show. So if you got something to say or you want to, you know, um, uh, talk about what you thought about the season overall or the series overall, drop a note there. You can find the link in the show notes below. Cool. Well, David, this is the end of Barry this in a lot of end. ways. Yes. Give me your thoughts on just the episode first. Just the episode. Interesting. I was able to catch the episode twice. Um, I don't think you can take this episode. 
without taking the season overall. And I thought the episode did the job that it needed to do, and it did it really well. It really was a wow moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm still processing what I saw and what I saw over the course of the season and this series. But the episode was the capstone to this season. That is for sure. And uh, I thought it tied up everything nicely. I feel good about it. Um, I feel good about the episode and I, I feel good about the season. So I don't know. It's hard to to pigeonhole the episode. I know. I know. Because I it, it really a couple was. General designed. thoughts first. What's that? I figured it would be a couple general thoughts first, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, it, it's good. It, it, it was a very good episode of television. Yeah. The pacing of this episode really surprised me, but it delighted me in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, I was uh, I was riveted throughout it. I was always like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? But things were not at the cadence we've been trained to expect. Uh-huh. And that was really interesting to see. And it was very true to form for Barry. Because, you know, you don't have that heroic moment. And we'll get to that. We don't have that blaze of glory death for Barry. Right. We don't have the the action coming at the very end. We had sort of this almost disappointing for Barry storyline. And I mm-hmm. think that it was so disappointing for Barry that it was satisfying for us. And that is such a weird Bill Hader thing that I don't think anyone else would have been able to pull off like this. <laughs> it really is um, an extraordinary body of work. Yeah. For Bill Hader. Uh, and it's, it's really... Uh, it's very much an auteur style uh, film. I was thinking about this today. I'm actually traveling a little bit and I was, I'm in the city and I was on the subway listening to some other coverage and thinking about it and writing some notes. And I was thinking that to me, this is not unlike a novelist's first novel or a, uh, a conductor's first symphony that they've, you know, they've written um, or, you know, some other artist who has been consuming a lot of their art or processing or working with it. And then, Hey, I'm going to go write my first novel or I'm going to, you know, uh-huh. produce my first movie or television series. And, f- you know, from whole cloth, not somebody else's script or not somebody else's story, something that I've created. And it, it feels like there's this creative logjam that was in Bill Hader's head that when HBO gave him the show and the budget and the actors and the whole thing, he uh, has increasingly all of that creativity that has just in, been in his head is just re- been released. And this is the flood of it coming out in a very coherent story, in a very well-told story. Um, But it was so cinematic. It was so sumptuous. It was so horrific. It was such social commentary on so many levels. The the series and this episode just work on so many levels. It's really kind of hard to process. I almost feel like we're not doing it justice by trying to do this short. We thought, <laughs> oh, know, hey, it's going to be know. a funny 30-minute end of the season. No, this is a, a, a this is a much bigger show than I think a lot of us realize. And I right. think it's going to do something. 
I think it's going to alter the course of television production, but not in an wow. overt way, in a very subtle way, like a big boulder under the water, right? You can see that it's there. You can see that there's something there, but you're not sure exactly what it's doing, but it's shaping the flow of the stream. And I don't know how this show is going to do that down the road, but I do think that there is something here that is substantial that's going to alter the the course of television making. Yeah, I agree. I will say I think that HBO or Max, whatever it is now, it's still HBO. Did sort of a disservice to Barry by sticking it at ten after a huge show. Uh huh. After succession, yes. Yes. I think that this absolutely could have been a nine o'clock on Sunday. Like, imagine you just finished succession and you need something else, and now Barry is going to be your Sunday night show. I think that would have been a lot better for this show. I uh, have been watching Succession, and and I, we, you and I are both sort of on record of being like, oh, we, we're not interested in in covering it for a, a variety of reasons. Um, but then I did, I decided to parachute in on season four without right. watching one through three. It's an extraordinary show. I think we'll talk about it in our next um, Patreon exclusive show. We so will because I, I started it from the beginning yesterday. Oh, <laughs> okay, so we have a lot to talk about then. We do. Um, that said, there's no way that I could watch an average episode of Succession back-to-back with a season four episode of Barry. There's right, just right. no way. This season is so dark and so twisted and so uh, confronting that trying to go from Succession to this would have would have been a, an insane thing to do. So yeah, I've, I've had to delay my Barry watching. Um uh, I hear for that you. reason. I hear you. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, this has been my only Sunday night show, so I haven't mm-hmm. had that issue. But I, I can imagine, as someone who's seen one and a half episodes of Succession, I can imagine <laughs> that it's hard to, uh, you know, do that back to back. Well, but, and then and Succession is ending as well, right? So, right, um, right. So the and, stakes and have never been higher for both. Never shows. been higher. And I, I will, let's talk a little bit. Maybe I don't know if the, if you want to talk about this now, but about the ending of the series. Sure. Yeah. Let's do, let's do the overall season thoughts now here. And yeah. Thoughts. So you've been a Barry Stan from the get. Uh, yeah. I watched I, season one week to week. Right. And, and you're, you're big, you were big on the show and, and have been, uh, how do you feel at the end of the season of the series? Not a single bad episode. Wow. Not yeah. a single one. Yeah. And, and that is something to be extraordinarily proud of. Mm-hmm. In this day of television where, you know, I feel like almost every even great show has a bum episode. Right. And that's not the case in the show. I couldn't tell you one episode where I was like, eh, that was disappointing. More, I mean, like, I've been devastated by an episode. I've been depressed by an episode. <laughs> right. But it was still great TV. Yeah. And I'm just grateful for this show. I think that I'm going to have to rewatch it because it is, it's, it's very similar to Breaking Bad in that it really does tell an interesting story about the human condition through the downfall of one man. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a masterpiece. I think I really do think it's a masterpiece in, in a lot of ways in both writing in acting in even like the cinematography and oh the way God, that they've framed yeah. these horrific scenes as comedy scenes. I mean, <laughs> the, the comedy of this show and you know, it was certainly less of a comedy towards the end, but the comedy this, of the show was always just so unique, you know, yeah. and I've never seen anything like it. And I hope I see more like it. Mm. 
it almost puts a funhouse mirror up to life and up to up to horrific situations and says, "Hey, it's kind of ridiculous when you look at it from a wide shot, huh?" You're right. Or you know, I know we're going to get more into into some of the specifics, but I think putting a a finger on that point that you're you're making right now with the scene of him leaving the store with all the guns strapped to his back. Right. So, and and that that scene, I think, encapsulate a lot of what Barry this season has been and the series overall. Uh, so here's this crazy man. He storms into the store. You know, there's the clerk and he, he you know, wild-eyed look, you know, and he demands guns, <laughs> right. which is a, f- a funny line. And it kind of go- calls back to, you know, the Matrix, right? And ha-ha, we're, you know, we're sort of laughing at some of this stuff. And then as, as he's strapped up and walking out of the store, it's horrific. Right. Because he's walking down the children's toy aisle. And we have an epidemic of, of gun death in this country that's particularly affecting our children. Um, so I was just watching in horror as nobody was paying attention to him. Right. They were completely oblivious. And that is kind of feels like what we're doing. And then as he strolls out into the parking lot, you know, again, da, 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 da. And then he gets into the car with all this stuff strapped to his back and it's hilarious. Right. Cause he can't fit. Now, can't fit. let me just say, this was not a realistic scene if it's happening in California. Right. <laughs> but um, I overlooked that. I literally right. said to my wife, I was like, well, that wouldn't happen in California, but <laughs> but fine. But fine. Yeah. Let, let's move the plot forward here. Yeah. And, and let's do that because there's the social commentary. There's the horror, the sort of American Gothic vibe that he's created yeah. throughout the show. There's uh, the comedy, the dark comedy to it all. So it's it's it was a brilliant and it was a brilliant shot too the follow shot uh, as he's walking out and, and and it was one take from the moment he starts walking down that aisle all the way out to getting in the car um, so brilliant on the on a production level uh, and I think that, that the whole show gets encapsulated into into that one scene there and there's so much to enjoy and to be horrified at and to laugh at yeah. um yeah it's it's really an extraordinary uh, piece of of work um yeah and i i think i have to agree with you that there isn't I, I can't think of a even a sour note in this whole season like oh you could have one episode where the b plot was a little meh you know right but none of that it was all all excellent and superb this whole yeah. season long and I think one of the things that Barry did right is it worried less about having every detail match up and more about how would these characters react emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been talking about Ted Lasso and my gripes over there about certain plot lines. And <laughs> maybe if if it were operating on as high of a level as Barry, because I do think Barry operates on a higher level as far as what it does to me emotionally. Mm-hmm. I think that I would buy it more, you know? And I think that Barry really hit every note that I needed it to hit to make me suspend my disbelief enough to not worry about, as Alan Seppenwall has said, cartoon logic, which is always present in Barry. Right. And this, the Barry did it in eight and pretty much all within, you know, plus or minus the half hour mark. Yeah. Where Ted yeah. Lasso this season had 12, 
and they were going 45, 50 minutes, uh, even an hour, I think, in an episode or two. Right. And Barry also didn't add several side characters and side plots, which I, I still think was a bit of a misstep for Ted Lasso. Right. But um, I mean, Ted Lasso is great. Join us on that podcast. Because we're <laughs> we love time. it. Yeah. 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 We're having a Different great time. Show. I'm just saying, I think as far as like a prestige quality show, yeah. Barry is several levels above how well Ted Lasso has operated. This feel, this show feels much more crafted, right? And yeah. this goes back yeah. to that auteur style. This is a product of Bill Hader's creative vision. He has a vision. And I think what's interesting too, with, within that vision, he was able to do something that I think is also, interestingly enough, parallel to Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, we talk a lot about how it's there's a lot of in-jokes that the writers throw in about rom-coms, about you know writing and about culture, and there's a lot of uh, winking and nodding to uh, various things in a kind of way that pushes up against the fourth wall. And I and love that. Great. And one of the things that I really think that Barry does in parallel with that is that it's a show written by an actor, written with writers for writers, and it is a show written for actors. And it is every actor that has been in this season has amazing depth and richness to play with with their character. And so I think not only did Bill Hader have a point of view and a creative vision, but he was able to do that tricky thing of being able to find collaborators among the writers and the actors and then say to them, okay, this is where we're going. This is my vision. What do you see? How do you think the character is going to respond? What are they going to do? Uh, how do you want to play the scene? So not, here he is, not only the director and the showrunner, but the writer and an actor. He has all of that now, and he has created an, a creative environment where he's empowering all the other actors and writers in this vision. It's extraordinary. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I think that especially Henry Winkler was given a ton to Amazing. work with. Sarah Goldberg was given a ton to work with, and they both knocked it out of the park. And we knew Henry Winkler would because we he's a known quantity. But right. Sarah Goldberg, I think you had circulated an interview with her where she really is the breakout star of this. I mean, I, yeah. I hope to see her in more things. I think that she nailed every kind of note she was supposed to hit. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm grateful that they gave that role to her because she really brought a lot to the show. And then you look at um, Stephen Root's per, uh, performance as yeah. as Fuchs, uh, the tr the trajectory and the transformation that he went through, and the same with Noho Hank. Yeah, Noho Anthony Hank Kerrigan. Uh, yeah, Anthony Kerrigan at his end was so moving and so tragic and so just so full of pathos and, and drama, yeah. you know, it, just all of them. He just gave them such meaty roles um, and such interesting characters to play. Yeah. That interview with, with uh, Sarah Goldberg um, and that was on a slate podcast called working. Uh, and she, her, she was talking about her, um, a lot of her stage uh, work and then her perform her process as an actor and talking about how she was getting into the head of her character and just the the 
in in as a byproduct of that, you know, we learn a little bit of, of behind the scenes of how the Barry season and the show was you know produced and how all the actors worked together. And it just sounds like an extraordinarily uh, creative environment for all of these people to really perform at at this top level. That was a very special little bubble. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's time we finally get into the meat of it. Twenty. You want to stop gushing? (laughs) We got to stop gushing. We got to get into the meat of it. We have enough carbs for days after that conversation. Ooh, sugary, sugary goodness. Yep, yep. All right. We've got three plot lines today. Hank and Fuchs is one. The next one's going to be Barry. And then we're going to close with Sally and John. So here we go. Hank and Fuchs. Hank tells Fuchs Barry is on his way to pick up Sally and John and offers him Barry. Fuchs comes to Hank's office and makes a counteroffer. If Hank admits he killed Cristobal, Fuchs will leave him alone. Fuchs gives a monologue about how we're only able to live with the things we've done if we pretend to be someone else. Hank owns up to killing Cristobal, but cuts the deal off, leading to a shootout which kills Hank and almost everyone else in the room. Hank dies holding the hand of Cristobal's statue. Fuchs, John, and Sally survive, and Fuchs brings John to Barry. The two share a knowing look and part ways. A lot happened here. A lot happened here. This episode was way more Fuchs-centric than I expected it to be. Mm. How so? I mean, I just didn't expect them to be as involved. You know, I mean, we the show is called Barry, and I feel like right. Barry was almost not at his own finale. He really wasn't. I think his storyline ended a couple, two, three episodes ago. Yeah. He um, just was happy, you know, living the, the quiet life. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, if we look at Barry as an individual, the damage, the death and destruction that he's wrought, the lives that he's upended, the, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to describe this, the um, morally untethered, like the, the whole thing with the podcast and, and seeking absolution, <laughs> right? The moment he right. found the right podcast to sit, tell him what he wanted to hear, he was like, great, boom, gone. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go kill this guy. This this moral relativism that he uh, expressed through his actions, he was not a, a good guy, right. ultimately. Right. And even though he's you know the the title of our show, and I think at some point, and I don't know when it would it would require a, a season rewatch, but I think the character died and or 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 came to his ar- the end of his arc a couple of episodes ago, and then he's just been a ghost walking through his life. And there's nothing more that we could do with him as a, as a storyline element. And this really was the natural, and we'll, we'll get to his end in a moment, but yeah, I, I uh, sorry to segue too far off there. Cause um, yeah, it, it really was not a Barry centric episode. Right. But you know, and, and I like the way you framed it is, you know, we, we're meant to be looking at the people that Barry has affected rather than Barry himself, because he is sort of a ghost of his former self. In fact, he's most himself when he's brought back in to be a hitman again, to go right. kill Gene mm-hmm. or Fuchs or Hank or whoever he wants to kill. You know, that's that's who he is right. in the end. And um, the fact that Fuchs sort of takes a look at John and he decides to give him back to Barry with no trouble and not even a word. I think says a lot more about Fuchs than Barry. I think that Fuchs, 
Fuchs was remorseful for what he did to Barry, I think. Mm. And I think he just wants to not deprive that kid of a father, even a flawed one. It's interesting. The... It's interesting that Fuchs had a redemption arc. So Sally and Fuchs right. have redemption arcs. Noho Hank and Barry do not, nor does Cousino. Um, so our sort of our, our five principles there. Um, well, I don't know if I don't know if Hank didn't have a, a redemption arc. I think in the end he was honest with himself, and he was sort of apologetic to Cristobal, and he realized he was dealing with a monster in Fuchs. And he refused to work with Fuchs. That's that's kind of redeeming, I think. Okay. But I, I don't know. I mean, he, he kind of didn't get the opportunity to finish that redemption arc because he died. <laughs> well, I, well, we should we should put a pin in the, the thing there about about the uh, Hank calling the deal off. But uh, rolling back over to Fuchs really quickly to finish that thought up, the character development of him going into prison and then his his speech there, or his little uh, monologue—well, not really a monologue, whatever. It, monologue, I don't know, whatever he was saying. I'm calling it a monologue. A monologue about being um, constantly beat down in prison to the point that until he dropped the pretense yeah, and got right with himself now. I mean, there's plenty of self-help methodologies out there in the world. You know, you can take some three-day courses, you can read some books, you can see a therapist, however you get there, right? <laughs> Let's hope that <laughs> most people don't have to be uh, beaten within an inch of their life on a, on right, a regular. Right. Um, but then he finds, he, he faces to who he is, which is a heartless man. Yet the thing that he does at the end of the episode is the most heartful thing. Well, I think he, if you asked him, he'd probably say, well, I'm pretending to be a man with a heart. I'm pretending to be the good uncle, the good godfather, whatever pretending, I am. But why, but why do that? Why give so John So that he back can forget Barry? that he's a man without a heart. So but that now he doesn't he, he, he has done. now a heart, right? It's the, it's a, it's a Wizard of Oz story, right? The, they, you know, they find the thing that they didn't think that they had. They had it all along. Yeah, they just had to yeah. have uh, space and and a place to be expressed. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I guess it's it depends how you view <laughs> the internal versus the external as far as who you are. <laughs> well, uh, which is the brilliance which is a of complicated, this complicated. Sh- yeah, that's super right. complicated. But and, and that's the brilliance of this show is is that it tr- it takes these uh, these tro- or these situations, these criminals, and it turns them upside down into good corporate businessmen. Right. Right. You know? Right. And um, you know you have the Vonnegut style. You, we are wh- who we pretend to be. And mm-hmm. then you would say Fuchs does have a heart. Right. And then you listen to Fuchs and he says, well, I don't have a heart, but at least I'm honest with myself now. And I don't know. I don't know. You know, I think that there's merit to both arguments. Well, and, and that's, I think, a, an important thing is, is that we have to be honest with ourselves before we can be honest with anybody else. Right. right. Um, uh, well, not that we can't pretend that we can't fake some of that stuff, but when we're honest with ourselves, then we can't be it's it's very hard to be dishonest to other people. Yeah. And I think we touched about that in the Earthsea stuff with the first book of Wizard of Earthsea with Ursula K. Le Guin. Check out that podcast if you want that conversation. Where when the main character um um understands who he who he is, then he becomes whole and 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 that then um uh, takes him out of being a pawn or manipulated by other forces in the world. 
Yeah, it's funny how much you see Earthsea popping up in all the shows we're covering this, <laughs> you know, marathon. I mean, I feel like we've been talking about Earthsea in Ted Lasso, in Barry, in uh, not in White House Plumbers, because there's no moral lessons to learn from that show. <laughs> but, you know, in these two shows, I think that this this sort of fundamental truth of human nature, which is be true to yourself and things will be a little better, at least. I think that that is so widespread in media today and something that we're sort of exploring more in current pop culture that it it's it's kind of really appropriate that we're covering Earthsea while we're covering all these shows because it's it ends up being sort of our blueprint to how right. we approach these shows. <laughs> Who would have thought that uh, well uh, you know with Tolkien even in our back pocket even further there you know so We've we've got a lot of rich material to to frame. Who knew modern television was so rooted in uh, <laughs> in Ursula Le Guin? Yeah. So, but I, I do have to commend the performance, Stephen Root's performance. The in that Sally Reed uh, interview, she talks a lot about how in the production of Barry, because they do so many close-ups, oftentimes they're closer physically to the cameraman and uh-huh. having this big piece of uh, equipment really close in their face and then trying to act and do these very emotional uh, right. scenes where, and then when they're trying to even connect to their partner, even though maybe their partner's not necessarily on camera in that moment. And so the close-ups of both, um, of uh, Anthony Kerrigan and Stephen Root in this scene are extraordinary. The face acting, the eye movements, the facial twitches, to act and emote at that level with that much uh, depth to their performance while having this giant piece of equipment shoved right in their faces is extraordinary. And it was gorgeous and and just really uh, a beautiful piece of television making. It was. It was. And um, yeah, I mean, somebody was comparing it to Tarantino, the way that mm-hmm. they were doing all those, all those close-ups. I think that's a good comparison. Uh, really just the way that they had Hank go out was so perfect. Yeah. Yes. And oh, my I, Lord. I mean, the way he and Anthony Kerrigan just looking up at Cristobal and slowly fading away. And just thinking of his his lover, and um, you know, I I think also people were saying uh, with the bird sounds fading in. Yeah, was it? Were they were they talking? Were they trying to hint at Barry's like Hell Beach? Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think that's a good uh, interpretation there. That's definitely that that soundscape definitely reminded me of um, them being out in the desert, and I thought. I was half expecting we were going to get, you know, get a cut scene to Sally and, and uh, Bill uh, or Barry out in the uh, in the desert again. So oh, I meant um, the beach that he go- went to a couple times when he was hallucinating of all uh-huh. the people he killed. Oh, OK. Yeah, I that, that was more in season three. OK, but it happened a few times where he's he's, you know, hallucinating or he's unconscious and he sees all the people he killed right. on the beach. OK. And there were birds there, so people were saying, "Is this okay. is this Hank meeting Cristobal on the Hell version Beach?" Version of it, <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. Uh, the visual of that was just gorgeous, though. It was a very, uh, very much like a classical painting. 
uh, there at the foot of the statue. Even before he fully expires, there's another scene there where he's propped up, sitting propped up more. Uh, it was just absolutely uh, amazing. And Anthony Kerrigan's acting when he breaks down and uh, admits to uh, Cristobal's death. Yeah. Really, really extraordinary. I do think, however, that the turning of the deal, uh, you know, where where Noho Hanks' deal is off, I don't wonder, I don't know that that is him refusing to, I don't know why, what he was thinking that Fuchs was going to do with John or not do. But I don't think that it wasn't in part driven by Noho Hank feeling some amount of shame. And sometimes when we're authentic and we bring up those feelings or we, we confront our past actions, you know, there can be a shame feeling that can ride right along with that. And unless there's some way to mitigate that. So I think his shame turned into anger, which then turned into um, right. What is what does Yoda say? Fear uh, leads to anger. Uh, anger tur- leads turns to into hate. Yep. <laughs> hate leads to the dark side. Yeah. Yes, we've got our Star Wars here as well. Good. Well, I'll see you on Dagobah. <laughs> right. I don't wonder if his turning on that deal. I don't know. It's open interpretation. I'd love to hear if, if people you know talk about this on the Discord or email us what they thought. Um, what turned Hank? I don't know. What's your opinion on on what turned Hank? I think maybe he was honest with himself and he was like, wow, I am a bad guy. I have to mm-hmm. be a little better. You know, it's maybe he did want to change a little bit. You know, I think I, I don't think he saw himself as a bad guy in right. season one or two or three. And I think he finally thought of himself as a bad guy when he had Cristobal killed. And that was a big shift in his life. And he's been in denial since. And now he's finally waking up a little bit and being like, oh, my God, I have to fix this right. in some way, in any way I can. Like, I can't bring crystal ball back, but maybe I could I could help somebody. I don't know. It's, it's a complicated situation. I don't know what Hank would have done with John. Um, and I don't know that he knew what Fuchs was going to do with John. I, we all I, right. I, I don't know about you. I certainly had an assumption that John was going to be used. As a in a in a as deadly pawn is what as Newberry he's the as Newberry. New <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't go there. I, I was I thought it'd be more about. Uh, oh no, I thought that Fuchs was going to take take John on and make him the Newberry, like teach him how to be a hitman. That's what I thought the series was going to end with. Huh. Okay, I can see that. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad they didn't because poor yes. John. <laughs> but I thought that that would be on brand for Barry. Um. So yeah, when Fuchs, I guess when he sees him on the FaceTime call, that's when he really has that turn of a moment when he realizes how shitty he was to Barry. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you know, he. Um, I, I don't even think then. I think I think there was a moment where he looks at John after he's brought into the room, mm-hmm. where it's because you know an in-person meeting is always a little more meaningful than a Zoom call. Absolutely. We all know that nowadays. Absolutely. And um, I think he, seeing John. In real life, just you know, flesh and blood—that's the—that's the son of Barry. Really makes him go, "Oh my God, I turned a child into a monster." Right. 
And and as he's describing how he's honest with himself uh, about the shitty things that he had done as this quote unquote mentor and guide to to young men, he in that moment is not going to repeat that. But I don't think that Noho Hank sees that or understands that. No. Well, but I think that I think that Hank thinks that something nefarious would happen to John. Agreed. If Absolutely. he left him with Fuchs, I think yeah. that I, I don't think he knows specifics, but I don't think he needs to to make a decision based on that. So you brought up uh, Tarantino, and I, I definitely there was a little homage there with the shootout. Uh, yeah, that was a, yeah. a very uh, reservation a reservoir dogs. Sorry, I get reservation dogs, reservoir dogs, uh, reservoir dogs uh, style thing. I, it really well done too. I, I actually stopped and rewound it a couple of times to see positioning, and Sally's uh-huh. not in there, so we don't even know where she is. Yeah, when. she's behind the column, right? And then it took me, yeah, to see where John was and to see that uh, Fuchs covered uh, John's body with his body to protect right. him. Yeah, that was that was very wholesome. That yeah, he saved John like that. Now. Did he have to shoot Hank and start the shootout? No. <laughs> well, Hank wasn't but... going to shoot. I think Hank was going to. Hank shot first. I mean, Fuchs shot first, but Hank drew first. Okay. So are we doing a Han shot first? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now? Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> that's what I'm questioning. All right. Uh, I, well, I if George Hank... Lucas were going to do the remasters of this, maybe he'll change it up and <laughs> Hank right. will have gotten a shot in first and then Fuchs kills him because Fuchs got to be a good guy now because he's a good uncle. Well, and, and that's just what's going to happen. Well, we have, of course, we have to talk about the ending of this because there's such a, a great commentary about how we tell our modern myths and how, and which is another level that the show works on is that there is this. Uh, retelling of uh, things so that they're heroic and and gussied up more. Yeah, uh, I was going to say the um, that dolly shot where they're tracking along with all the bodies. That <laughs> was hilarious with the guy's Terrifying, leg gone dude. and yeah. the guts hanging out. It just it's funny and horrific at the same time. So perfect Barry style comedy in that. And and it was very kind of Fuchs to hide John's eyes. Yes, exactly. You know? Yeah. And that's when we really start to see, whoa, something's going differently with Fuchs here. Yeah. Yeah, because if Fuchs was going to train him to be a killer, maybe he'd be like, all right, this is what happens when you kill somebody. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Grotesque. Well, David, any more thoughts on this scene? Oh, many thoughts, but uh, I think we need to move on. <laughs> we sure do. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we will move on to Barry's plot line. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And we're back. Barry goes into a big box store and buys two semi-automatic rifles, which prove to be cumbersome driving accessories. He goes to Hank's office and prays to God that he's going to die tonight, but to keep Sally and John safe and to deliver him to heaven. Before he can go in, Fuchs delivers John to him in a hotel. 
Sally tells Barry to turn himself in, but Barry doesn't think that's God's plan for him. In the morning, Barry finds his hotel room empty. Thinking Sally went to Jean's, he bursts into Jean's house and demands that Tom tell him where they are. Realizing they aren't there and swayed by Tom's arguments, Barry decides to turn himself in just in time to be shot by a framed Jean Cousineau. He turns to Jean, says, oh, wow, and is shot in the head and killed. I loved this whole arc. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, the just Gene jumping the gun one more time. Right. And ruining his life. Right. By just jumping the gun and being kind of incompetent and being more focused on his ego of you killed my girlfriend Mm -hmm. than on even self-interest, even getting out of prison. It's it's crazy. And he was uh, competent in the most in uncompetent way, which I guess you could say is part of his his career. Right, he is an right. excellent actor. He's an excellent acting coach and teacher. Right, you know, getting people there. Um, but yet he is so encumbered by all of the, like you say, his his ego and and his inability to see the the bigger picture. The fact that he killed a notorious killer a, a man who is a <laughs> right. natural born killer in in many ways uh john is a you know an expert um uh, barry yeah sorry yes barry is where, a, where, a but john thankfully is not an expert yeah john thankfully anyone. is not but barry is a very efficient killing machine um Cousineau was able to take him out uh quite effectively yeah yeah he was and really bullseye now let me tell you about a reddit theory i saw today okay <laughs> They said that this whole season, they've been hinting at what was going to happen with the Abraham Lincoln references. Uh huh. There was this post on Reddit. You can go find it on the Barry subreddit. I don't know who sent it. Um, but basically, first of all, they were doing that whole Lincoln thing earlier in the season. Yep. And uh, there was also a whole thing about Daniel Day-Lewis, who played Lincoln in yes. the Lincoln Oh, that's movie. true. Oh, I didn't make that connection. That's very uh, yeah. That's totally obvious now. And how Duh. did Lincoln die? Shot. He by... was shot in the head by an actor. <laughs> it's all right there. Oh my lord! I can't believe I missed all of that. That's and hilarious. the play that Lincoln was watching was the Something Cousins. Okay. Gene Cousineau. Okay. <laughs> there's there's something there too. Uh, oh, basically, this God. this whole Lincoln thing is uh, is is has been hinted at all season. Was it a pearl handled uh, pistol that Lincoln was shot with? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That was a, a crazy pistol, though. That well, did you notice the note that was in the box? No. So it's a note from uh, I be- Rip Torn. I believe it was uh, it was a note from Rip Torn, um, who's a, a great American actor. And uh, it was basically like, basically, don't shoot your your wee wee off. I forget what that you know, don't shoot your pecker off or something like that. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure what the connectivity is there. I'm sure the Reddits have uh, all of that. Yeah, but there's got to be, be there's two points where you can freeze frame and clearly see the note and read the message and and all the stuff. Okay. Um, so I'm sure that there's some inner uh, interconnectivity to to that as well. Do you? think that gene was going to commit suicide before barry walked in i considered the possibility i definitely considered the possibility i don't know what pathways out but i don't know if his ego would allow him to do that Mm. 
I don't know. I don't know, because he did seem really desperate. He did seem like the walls were finally closing in on him. Yeah. And, and he, he did go for the, the gun room. long before he knew that Barry right. was on right. his way to, to come to get him. So, yeah, that was not a reaction to Barry. Right. Yeah. So I, I think he considered it. That's what that's my my headcanon is he considered it because he felt very trapped. Can we talk about the oh, wow line, too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please. <laughs> it was very. um, What's the word? It's when when Barry is in a particular mode, he sounds very serious. There's a different tonality to his voice and there's a different cadence and direction and and how he acts. And in this one, it was the playful non-killer Barry, the young kid on the stage who was looking for a new way of life or, you know, trying to find something or when he was talking to Sally and it's a very much higher tone voice and a much younger sounding voice. So he goes, Oh, wow. Yeah. It was almost Owen Wilson, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Here's my question for you. Has Barry ever been shot before? I don't think so. So I, th- I think he was actually surprised of, I think I just got shot. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there was that and the whole, my fake daddy just shot me. And uh, right. there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And Bill Hader did an excellent job sort of capturing all of that. It was like surprise and awe mm-hmm. and just bewilderment and shock. And then just gone. He's just yeah. gone. And it and, was such a sad, small death right. for a character that wanted the night before to go out in a blaze of glory, was basically like, God, I am your servant, and I'm going to go down <laughs> bringing glory to the world, and I will be by your rightful side doing this whole, you know, almost like a Catholic mass in his car mm-hmm. uh, with, with the amount of, uh, the, the amount of, you know, quotes from the Bible he's using. Right. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a perfect ending for Barry because in the end he didn't he did not get to be the glorious great man that he wanted to be. He was actually a small man and he had a small death and he was killed by someone who he thought loved him. Right, but who he's traumatized and tortured and right. uh driven insane, even more insane than he he already was. Yeah. The framing of it, too, was amazing. And then what they did from the scene transition, as they're panning back uh, from Kusinow sitting on the couch and Barry sitting in the recliner, it very much looks like the ending scene of a play. You could have had the curtains drop and the lights go out in that moment, and it would have felt very natural as a play ending. And then what do they do? Boom, we jump to Sally and uh, the kids coming out on stage there and the lights coming up in the audience. So it was a really nice uh, through line there of the whole acting stage uh, thing that this show has, right. you know, trafficked in this entire series. Um, so, yeah, that was a beautiful, brilliant way to, to handle that. Yeah. So, John, I, I, one of the things, too, I wanted to talk about was moral relativism <laughs> oh boy. And, and Barry's uh, ability to uh, try he to see the goalpost. Ab- What's that? He moves the goalpost. He moves the goalposts <laughs> all the time. Yeah. 
Was that yeah. was that stuff present? Was the religion stuff present or in earlier seasons? I don't remember. Oh no, this was definitely the second half of the season is really the first time we've discussed religion on the show. I'm pretty sure. Okay. the The most religious season one through three got was in season one. They do the the, the nun priest play. They're going to do that at Ryan's funeral, right? Um, and. and and Gene just goes, let's not do that. <laughs> uh, that always cracks me up. But yeah, uh, it, no, we, we have not had that before. But I mean, it's from the birth of his child. He found religion after John was born. Sure. But I, I think religion is sort of the next step in something Barry's been doing from the beginning. OK. And Barry from the beginning has been moving the goalpost on who he is. You know, at first he says, I'm not going to kill Ryan Madison. You know, I'm mm-hmm. done killing. I'm done killing all over the place. And then he's like, well, maybe I'll, I'll do one more hit for the Chechens. There's always one more, you know, there's always a next goalpost of, well, after this one, I I won't do it. And the whole theme of season one, I think, and even through season three, we heard this line starting now. And at the end of Mm. season one, he kills Janice Moss. He lays down and he goes starting now Mm -hmm. as in, I'm going to be a good person starting now. You know, I just killed my hero's girlfriend. And I'm going to be a good person starting now. And at the end of season three, right before he goes to kill Jim Moss, he is confronted by his war buddy who says, this has to stop Barry starting now. Like, you have to be a better person Mm. now. He's constantly getting a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance to not go past the goalposts he set for his morality. And he always fails to do that. He always goes that extra step. And all religion has done for him is not provide him salvation, but instead provide him a way to right a way to work that a way to work a mythology into his moving of the goalposts. Mm-hmm. You know, a way to say, "Well, I'm moving the goalposts because God says it's okay." Well, and exactly. That's and a dangerous says, version of religion. I, I I went in there last night expecting to to to, to die, but God didn't kill me, so He's got a different plan for me. Right. Imagine so that plan now. is turning yourself in. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, like he could do something good right now, and that wouldn't be shifting in the goalpost. That would be, okay, well, I have a second chance to do the right thing. Let me go do it. But he goes, no, I'm going to be a great man, and God has a plan for me. And mm. so I'm going to go do my own thing and not do anything that would harm me in any way. <laughs> and that's when, uh, yeah, Sally realizes who he really is. And I'm surprised that they were able to get away, uh, that he slept through their exit. Well, he was pretty tired after, uh, that's true. <laughs> being up all night at, at, uh, Jim Moss's and he slept on the counter or next to the counter on the floor. So again, this, you know, the, the, the show working on these different levels of, of, um, of social commentary uh, on top of everything else. So we've got violence, uh, we've got Hollywood and sort of the crassness of, of that. We have religion, using religion as, as um, uh, in a morally relevant way, uh, you know, right. self-relevant. Um, we've got all these questions of, of authenticity and uh, absolution. Yeah, there's just so much packed into this. It's, it's hard to track it all. It almost feels yeah. like we need to do this as a full season recap, maybe in a... In, in a you know in a year or two or something let it cool and then come back <laughs> and 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 plumb the depths of this cuz there's so yeah. much going on 
a Barry retrospective. Yeah, completely. All right, let's move on. We've got a lot more to talk about. Sally and John are back. As Hank's hostages, Sally and John have their first real conversation. Sally tells John that they're fugitives because Barry murdered a lot of people and Sally murdered one. She tells him that they are bad people, but he's a good boy, and she's sorry for being a terrible mother. As she breaks down crying, John hugs her. After the shootout, Sally calls for John and is eventually reunited with him and Barry in a hotel room. When Barry decides not to turn himself in, Sally and John sneak out in the night. Years later, Sally accepts flowers after putting on a play at the school where she teaches drama. Another teacher asks her on a date and she declines. John goes to a friend's house and watches The Mask Collector, a movie about Barry and Jean, which reframes Barry as the hero and Jean as the villain who murdered Janice and Barry. We learn that Jean is serving life in prison as John looks on with pride for his dad. Boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For a 30-minute show, this packed in so much stuff. It's really wild. I know. Um, that scene with Sally and John, uh, it, it took me a couple of rounds. Uh, again, I watched it twice to really get the, the impact of that, where all season long, well, ever since we uh, did the time jump, seeing Sally really rejecting the role of being a parent and uh, really abdicating responsibility for John uh, and for his education and for his, you know, physical well-being. And then to have her deliver that monologue in this way was extraordinary. It was extraordinarily shot. It was extraordinarily acted and it was a, a real moving piece for that character and for Sally to come full circle. And I didn't see a redemption pathway for her. Uh, We were talking last episode. I don't know. I didn't know where she was going to go. I didn't know how she was going to get out of it. I thought she was going to abandon John. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't. I mean, I will say this though. What's the one thing she didn't say to him at all, including when he said it to her. Yeah. She never said, I love you. Mm. She didn't. And you know, she doesn't have to say it every single time. We haven't seen their whole life, but I think that, you know, what the show, I can only go off what the show tells me and what the show has told me is John loves his mother and his mother is now being dutiful and now taking care of her son and trying to be there for him emotionally. But I, I still think she didn't want to be a mother and I think she still doesn't want to be a mother. I think she's doing what she thinks is the right thing. She's playing a role. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I go 100%. I can certainly see that when she's on stage, she gets the flowers, not the actors. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, and the, the adoration is directed at her, not the performers. And she's the one who's anxious about it when she asks John, was it, was it good? Did it, was it, yeah. did it really turn out okay? Uh, even though all the signals that she's getting from all the other sources are, you know, everybody enjoyed it and thought it was really great. Even the guy who wanted to ask her out on a date. Who would have thunk the guy who asked her out on a date thought she did a great job? Yeah. Well, I think to me, the way I read that 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 bit was that life is normal. Sure. There's There's a pathway now for her just to live a normal life where she can have normal human relationships. Uh, in this place, you know, in 
wherever middle America this is. Um, and that she is a, an attractive and charismatic person. Um, sure. That this guy. So, you know, I, I kind of look at, look at all of that as her, um, you know, coming, coming up right, you know, if, if getting rolled over by the waves, right. So she's sort of coming, uh, coming back up to normality, but even so she's still driven by the love of the stage and the love of, you know, yeah. that, that desire to be, uh, uh, the center of attention. And I'm glad that she is doing her own thing and not jumping back into another relationship. I know it's been years now, mm-hmm. but I think that Sally is in a place where she goes, my judgment with men is not great. <laughs> and I'm just going to not do that anymore. Right. And I, I get it. I think that she's, I think that she's perfectly justified in that. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's some good growth. Yeah. And oh, she yeah, was I think there. Sally's grown. I think, yeah. but my point is, I think that at her core, Sally would rather not be a mother. And mm-hmm. I think that she would rather be, you know, doing the famous actor thing. I think she'd be mm-hmm. ru- rather be running a show, something like that. But I think that she's settled into the life she has and she's tried to create some stability for herself and John and she's doing her duty. And if that's the best she can do, then maybe that's enough. Well, and, and maybe it's the, the, the quiet and slow, uh, uh, um, what's the word I want to fr- how I want to phrase this, just the, the slow turning of the years that will, um, yeah. rid her of that, um, thing. But as we know from Frodo, you know, once, or, uh, Sam, once you're sort of stabbed with that Morgul blade, it's, it's hard to ever get, get rid of that. Right. You know, it was Frodo, by the way, you were right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, I got all these. I've got all these characters jumbled up in my I head. It's, <laughs> it's hard to I know a lot of characters. I was when I was writing summaries tonight, and I had been watching Succession yesterday and trying to remember all those names. I'm like, okay, whose name was whose kid? And right. and uh, boy, I hope I got them all right. But here we go. Um, I want to talk about a couple more things. Just the the movie itself. Yes, First of all, how huge, awful was that huge. movie? And <laughs> the British gene was right. amazing. It's so good. Uh, completely emotionless, too. Right. Absolutely emotionless delivery. Amazingly bad. Uh, the, great title. The very, great, yeah. great bad title, yeah. right? You know, yeah. like within the awfulness of all of it, The Mask Collector is a perfect uh, yeah. title for this. I loved the low budget scene of Barry walking in on the Chechens and this idea that Gene was running a drug ring out of that theater when he's just a bumbling <laughs> idiot is just so funny to the audience. Right. So, yeah, I really liked the movie. And I, I, what I liked more than the movie itself was sort of what it symbolized, which is, you know, John heard from his mother, your dad killed a lot of people and right. I killed one person. Now, by the way, Sally did not commit murder, in my opinion. You know, she... Self-defense. You know, it was manslaughter at best. Okay. Maybe you could say she went too far in the self-defense, but I think any court is uh, is going to at least not convict her of murder because it, there was no, you know, she didn't seek this guy out. She didn't like go attack this guy. This was this was her getting out of a desperate situation. Right. Um, and now she carries around this guilt. And I think maybe she understands it as murder. Maybe she thought it was easier to explain to John as murder. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think. Um, her her ref- her framing of it as they are bad people and then John choosing to believe instead in this mythology of Barry that was created in the movie 
and that has sort of taken on the public public consciousness. That really shows sort of one how we talk about the dead, how we Mm -hmm. talk about quote unquote great men. You know, Barry put to rest with full honors. Uh, You know, now now remember it as a great man. And and I it's just so perfect to see him just looking on with pride, like yeah, now this is a story I can get behind. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get behind the story that my dad was a murderer. I want I want to know that my dad was actually a hero who was wrongfully accused of of murder and then killed by the guy who framed him. It's uh, that's you, a lot you, easier to swallow as a kid. So you're you're saying that John is totally taken in by this mythologized yeah. version of the. I think that's what his facial expression was telling me. Interesting. You don't think so? I don't know. I don't know how far I was going to take John. The it was very it was a very interesting setup because when his teenage friend said, "Are you ready for this?" and the way that he asked, you know, his mom, "Hey, can I spend the night?" To me, that all read like we're going to sneak out, we're going to go get some booze, we're going to go do some stuff, what have you. But maybe I'm projecting my childhood onto <laughs> these fictional characters. Um, but that's certainly how I read it. And so when they sat down to watch The Mask Collector, I'm like, what is this some sort of horror story? And John doesn't like horror. And this, I, I was really confused <laughs> when it, you know, as it turned, uh, as it played out uh, of the story of Barry, I was really surprised. I thought it was a brilliant uh, device and a way to turn the whole um, uh, narrative arc of the, the entire series to mythologize and to whitewash and uh, even to the point of when uh, Barry, when the the on-screen Barry rescues them and he comes in with all his tactical gear and his vest and it feels very much man on fire type of, of stuff. Got to, you know, be the alpha and save my, my family, get behind me. And Um, so I'm watching this and I'm watching John's reaction and I really didn't know what to, to make of it. I didn't, because I'm, dealing with my own disbelief. So I, I wasn't sure what I was transferring onto John versus what John was portraying in, in that actor's portrayal. So I don't yeah. really know where, where John rides on this. I think I need to go back yeah. and watch it a third time. I think, you know, when I look at my experience of, you know, how I like to remember my dad is, you know, my dad and I didn't always get along, but what do I try to remember is I try to remember the good of him sure. and the good yeah. of our relationship. And I think that John's the same way. I think mm-hmm. we all are that way, right? We want to remember our our deceased loved ones for the good the that they way. did and the good moments we had with them, unless it was something like extreme abuse or something like that, right. of course. But in general, I think people want to remember the good in people and they want to cherish the good memories. And for Barry, first of all, Barry set him up as remembering the great men with flaws. Right. Yeah. The whole Lincoln thing, which we were scratching our heads a little bit at uh, when that was happening. Right. And second, I think that John is just choosing to believe in this mythology. And I mean, who's it going to hurt? You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. who's it going to hurt for him to look up to his dad who's gone as a hero? Like, he's not going to learn anything from him now. So, uh, yeah, let the kid let the kid grow up with a false image that makes him feel a little better. Good for him. Um. Brilliant way to resolve the whole story, though. Really, yeah. really great. And again, 
you know, digging into the social commentary of, of Hollywood and uh, how we mythologize uh, things, especially uh, in the post-Vietnam era, how we really try to hold up uh, anyone who served, especially anyone who served and seen combat. Uh, thank you for your service and your sacrifice, all of that kind of stuff. And then to throw all of that mythology and hero worship onto the screen and to tell a, a very Hollywood mm-hmm. style story. That is exactly what Hollywood loves to do is to, right. to take something that is probably a lot more morally complex, a lot less glamorous in, in most of the details, clean it up and then present it to us in this really pristine and um, uh, aspirational, uh, give it this big, huge aspirational shine to it. Right. Yeah. You're right. It was a brilliant way to end the series. Alan Seppenwall didn't like it, but I did. And uh, <laughs> hey, another one where we can mark up saying that we don't agree with Seppenwall. I know, I know. Uh, but he he did like the show. I will say that right. he did praise the show generally. Um, I think he just didn't like the way it ended on this uh, on John. And it, I, I like the way it ended on John. I think that Barry's legacy is John. Yeah, and to see how John remembers Barry, that's a perfect way to end the series. And and to see this young kid who really was horribly traumatized by being um, so sheltered and living such a weird, quixotic life, uh, to then going through this really horrific moment of being captured and then uh, a, you know a, a shootout between rival gangs, yeah, uh, to then land where he's at you know seemingly well adjusted and dealing with trying to integrate what he wants to feel about his father and like you said to have the best thought about his father no matter the fact that his father was a horrible monster um, right yeah that's that's the brilliance of the show is is these paradoxes and these these turning over these tropes and and turning things upside down it's uh, it's brilliant I, I think they absolutely nailed this finale. I think it was a perfect. I, there's no way I could have predicted it. It 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 blows. It's. I'm delighted. I'm surprised. I'm delighted because I'm surprised because there's no way that yeah. I could have predicted. Yeah. And so I was really in the moment. And so as the story unfolded and as it ended, I was like, "Wow, that right. was a well done story, told well, ended well." ended on its own terms the way that they wanted to end it um, and done so confidently with such artistry artistry yeah I'm I can't uh, I'm gonna just go into gush mode again <laughs> so well, we turn here we are turn me off here well David now that you're done gushing <laughs> let's bring in some feedback which is all my fault uh-huh. because it's two feedback items, and they're both a correction for something that you did correct on the podcast, but I edited it out accidentally. <laughs> so Rocky and DJB both have to say that uh, it was not Tony Danza on Happy Days who played Chachi. It was Scott Bayo. Correct. And you did correct yourself. I can attest to it. I heard the audio, uh-huh. but <laughs> release the tapes. Out. Release the tapes. Yeah, like Nixon. If you want yeah. to watch uh, White House Plumbers. Yeah. But yeah, um, thank you for the correction. Sorry that it was not included in the original podcast, but uh, it was do there. You think that we, do you think that we should uh, intentionally drop um, 
incorrect statements or hot controversial hot topics just oh, so people write in yeah yeah maybe <laughs> maybe uh let's hey, see we, hey, uh, at a least, hot dog is a sandwich right at least people are listening they're paying attention yeah. this is a yeah. good sign so, yeah. so thank you rocky and djb we, we we know that you're out there and that you're paying attention to our words as they're recorded on these microphones uh, DJB adds, the Danza reference calls back to when Gene was talking with his agent that he was convinced Danza was mafia. Mm-hmm. So that's funny. That's yeah. a fun little callback. And I'm sure there's a lot more Easter eggs. I'm sure if we, uh, um, you know, did some drift net fishing in in the old uh, yeah. Reddit waters, we'd we'd come up with a lot more. But yeah, I really do think that this series could be uh, easily a, a retrospective podcast from you know yeah. one through four, especially yeah. with the the tonal shifts that the show goes through. Yeah, because it really it's a very different show from season one through four. I think seasons one and two are relatively the same tone. Right. Seasons three and four are sort of one tone too, although the end of season four gets very different too. Yeah, that's, yeah, for sure. All right. Time for our outro. Again, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, the season's over, the podcasts are over, but we're still on Discord. So head to the show notes if you want to join that Discord and chat with us about Barry. Uh, For now, let's talk about our patrons, David. Yes, let's do that. Let us give thanks to Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O. H., Patina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F., Matthew M., Sarah M., DJ Miwa, they are our Lore Master Patreon supporters. They are our top tier. Um, and they uh, provide a significant amount of resources for us to be able to produce these shows. So thank you all. And thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers, because Patreon is a much better way to support us. Um, ad revenues are fickle these days. And so we really depend on all of our Patreon supporters to help us make this podcast. We are coming up on our one-year podcasting anniversary. It's hard to believe. July 11th is our technical birthday. What we're going to do in um, the end of July, everyone who's subscribed is going to get a thank you sticker that we're in production on right now. We've just got some final details nailed down. And once we um, get into the next phase, I'm hopefully going to be able to uh, show everyone a version of the sticker before long. It's going to have a very cool Elvin statement underneath our um, our Lorehounds banner, and we've got a whole bunch of other cool uh, features that we're going to start turning on on our Patreon, and we'll start talking about those in June as we get those details nailed down. So, uh, speaking of June, John, what do we have coming up for our listeners? Well, June is going to be a little bit of a lighter month, although that means still about twelve podcasts. Uh, <laughs> But I, I will. I am looking forward to having a little bit of a break. Doing three shows has been I know. A, a pace. We're looking at July and August, and those are going to be crazy again. So I Oof. think that we need we need a nice little break here. Yeah. Uh, but this week we have a lot of wrap ups happening. We just did uh, an episode of Silmarillion Stories on of Elmar and the Princess of the Adalia uh, with special guest Aaron from the Lore of the Rings podcast. He's it was a great. really great conversation. Oh my lord. 
super knowledgeable, made a lot of deep connections with Rings of Power, with the Lord of the Rings books and movies. And uh, I'm grateful he came on. I think we're going to be chatting with him again sometime. Definitely. I think uh, we're going to hop over to his podcast, too, and and definitely going to do some more stuff with him in the future. Absolutely. So check out his podcast, too, if you're interested. Uh, We also are wrapping up White House Plumbers and Ted Lasso this week because everything's ending at the same time. And then uh, for next week, we are doing Star Wars Visions Volume 2. We're going to do a one-episode recap of that whole season. And uh, you, David, are going to be reviewing Spider-Man Across the uni- the Spider-Verse. Sorry, I yes. can't even say the title. The Spider-Verse uh, with Jean and Alicia. I think yep. that's going to be a fun one. Uh, I don't think I'm going to make it out of the house to see okay. that one. But <laughs> I think it will be great. I, I've already I really got my like tickets Spider-Man. for Friday. Very nice. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about it because I, I love the Spider-Man universe. Well, we have one other thing we need to talk about. We've got a new member of the Lorehounds network, and yes. that is Alicia. You probably heard her on a bunch of our podcasts on Star Wars and uh, the MC universe. And uh, she's doing a, a podcast on Silo, the Apple TV Plus show. Uh, that's basically lost, but with a bunch of other Westworldy vibes. And it's it's a mystery box show about a dystopian world with a lot of twists and turns and great character moments. The dialogue is super tight. The production is really amazing. I'm Very really enjoying cool it. Building. I I have been out on mystery box shows for a long time, and this yeah. is the first one where I'm actually pretty intrigued. Yeah. And uh, I'm really glad that she's covering it because I need a podcast to keep up with it because there's so many <laughs> threads going on in it. So I, I'm glad that I, I'm enjoying it, too, because I can now just go back to watching television and listening to a podcast. Right, right. <laughs> it's Isn't been really nice? fun. Well, we're very happy to have her in the Lorehounds family. Uh, check out our podcast, Wool Shift Dust, which you can find in the show notes of this podcast. Uh, go over there, show her some love, send in your feedback. It always helps. Give her a rating and review. Uh, and you will hear her again on the the next week MC Universe podcast. So thanks to everyone for listening to this season of Barry with us. I hope you'll join us for another show, uh, and I hope you'll join our Discord so you can chat with us about TV uh, in the long term. Well, John, this has been a really great uh, podcast to record with you. Uh, I really enjoyed this series. I'm really glad that you were a Barry stan and we're talking it up because I liked the show, but I don't know that I liked it enough to podcast about it, but I'm really glad we covered it. I think it's an extraordinary piece of television. So uh, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, coming along with us. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on another podcast. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works 
and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>